Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.、A、laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah,、oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How do you feel about、uh, instead of 2020, we start calling it 20 twice? <gasps> I adore that. Isn't that fun? 20 twice. You never be able to do it again. I really love that. 20 twice. Yeah. I'm into it. I'm doing it. The, You're the, sold. The decade so nice. They named it twice. Twice. Get it trending, kids. Twenty <laughs> twice. I love that actually.、It's、well、fun. done. It rolls off the tongue. I don't think I、yeah. made it up, but like most of my the pieces that live in my brain, I never、yeah. know where it came from or if it's even true. Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's musical theater happy hour. I'm Tommy and I'm Jimmy, and this. Is the only musical theater podcast with aperitifs and light motifs. Oh,、uh, <laughs> here we take apart your favorite shows, muddle them together with a shot of buffoonery, and pour you a refreshing glass of musical theater conversation. What are you drinking today, Jimmy? I didn't prepare for this, so <laughs> welcome to the cuff.、Um, I am drinking. Let me just have a sip. Glug glug glug! Oh, it's giving me food poisoning. Oh, how depressing! I know. Did you make this for me? No, it must have been the guards.、Uh, who knows? No. <laughs> why? Why are we? Why this? Why this charade?、Yeah. Why this whole facade? Well, let me tell you in the form of a quiz question. This musical accidentally shut down a so-called musical theater lab because it premiered. First, the lab was working on *The Secret Garden*, my favorite year, and this show. Hal Prince is of the opinion that the lab would still be functioning today had *The Secret Garden* premiered first instead of this musical. What could it be? A show, Tommy. What is it? It maybe got its own kiss. <laughs> ho 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 ho! It's *Kiss of the Spider Woman*. It、music. is. It's *Kiss of the Spider Woman*. It is. You're certain to meet in the bedroom, the parlor, or even the street. There's no place on earth you're likely to miss her kiss. Sooner or later, in sunlight or gloom, when the red candles flicker, she'll walk in the room, and the curtains will shake, and the fire will hiss. Here comes her kiss. And the tides low, and her.
broken black beat him up And you're aching too But you're caught in the web Of the spider woman In her velvet cape You can scream But you cannot escape um, I don't understand what you just said there It got its own Because you get kissed by the spider woman And then you die Oh, that was good. Yeah. That was layered. <laughs> well, well it, was, done. it was something. It, yeah. No, I think that was good. <laughs> I can't even keep up with you this time. Uh, we'll see, well if you, we'll see how, how long it lasts. How the tables have turned in 20 twice. How the turntables. Um, yep. We've lost that again. So there we go. <laughs> Kiss of the Spider Woman. Oh, my God, Jimmy. Premiered or was workshopped 30 years ago. Yeah, but don't say what year that was because 30 years ago was 1970. Obviously. (laughs) And then two years later, in 1992, it premiered in the West End. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Yeah, I know. Like, this is... I was alive. I know. That's 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 a wild thing to think about having listened to the show, too. Because it does feel older. I mean, I guess I was one. I was also one. Wouldn't have been an appropriate show for me to see. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I didn't go see the premiere in the West End (laughs) um, in 92. Uh, Yes, and then it opened up on Broadway in 1993 Mm -hmm. um, after its big old journey. um, And critically was a big old success. Yes. um, And got a slew of Tony Award nominations, Mm -hmm. won a whole bunch as well. Maybe two or three years, 900 some performances. Absolutely. Um, many people kind of laud it as one of Kandernev's best pieces. Yeah. Oh, already it begins, I'm ladies just, and I'm gentlemen. I'm trying not to, but we'll get there. Um, right. I'm excited about that. Okay, that's good. Um, so, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Let's say what it's all about. Is it about a, a woman with eight legs? Yes. End of... No. Uh... Kiss of the Spider Woman takes place predominantly in a jail cell in Argentina in a time long past. It would be the 70s. That sounds about right. In the I 70s, um, lots of unrest in Argentina around that time uh, yep. and centers around a very odd couple styled uh, group of uh, duo of prisoners. Uh, Luis Molina, who's a gay window dresser. Um, mm-hmm. who's been uh, incarcerated for somewhere between being gay and corrupting a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he meets up with uh, a, revolu- a Marxist revolutionary, Valentin, who gets thrown into a cell. Um, they at first don't get off, but then the show uh, chronicles their relationship growing. Yeah, just uh, their their companionship, the forced companionship uh, that occurs from living in a confined space with someone. Yes. Um, without any choice. Uh, and we also kind of see the world of these two people mm-hmm. um, sort of through the fantasies um, uh, that Molina creates um, through discussing various film scenes that he loves, uh, starring this woman called Aurora. Yes. Um, who one of her characters uh, that she plays is called the Spider Woman. And if she kisses you, you're that's it. You're dead. That's it. You um, are and, dead. And uh, Molina is. It's the only movie of Aurora's that he can't watch, hasn't seen, or something. It's the only character yeah. she plays that he's afraid of. He's fully afraid of her. Um, and 
yeah it's it's uh it all takes place in this cell but you do get to kind of see the world that's happening around it at the moment um at that time sorry uh, in argentina um through all of these kind of fantasies and scenes that they discuss absolutely well should we talk about that world around them i think we should hop on let's go I was the cream of the crop The way I buckled the belt Folded the felt Helped me to get where I got Before I got where I got I was the absolute top For example, once I asked for a Balenciaga scarf To stuff in a mannequin's purse They told me no one on earth will see I answered no one on earth but me I stood my ground as no other dresser does And darling, guess what? Balenciaga it was Dressing them up I was the creme de la creme As I adjusted each hem I kept on dazzling them At my particular store Which was the best in the town You'll never catch them Wearing a frown or catch them Dressing me down for my finesse at Dressing them up We've actually briefly touched upon this before, Thomas Have we? As I said, very, I have no very memories, briefly. only riddles Exactly. Once upon a time, it was, I was trying to do it about your riddles. I can't because I'm so um, fluent. That's not true. I'm really bad. Um, no, so it was when we did Evita. Mm, yes. The other Argentinian musical. <laughs> um, but this, in many ways, is like the sequel to Evita. This is uh, what happened uh, after uh, Peron got into power and then was overthrown. Sure. I think maybe twice he was overthrown, actually. But this is after that, um, in response uh, to what was happening in what was called the Dirty War, mm -hmm. which was basically the government's war against counterculture. Mm -hmm. um, so this was kind of happening concurrently at the same time with sort of hippie movement that we know all about in here where the youngsters were kind of having their own opinions um, and were doing their own thing yeah and the kind of left leftist ideals and these marxist ideals mm -hmm. were coming more to the fore um and they weren't uh they weren't staying underground anymore they were coming forward and they were wanting to have their voice heard yeah um and the government decided that that wasn't good that wasn't productive for society um and it opened up many doors to, to bad things mm -hmm. so they put a stop to it um through many just very malicious and dark horrible means mm -hmm. um which is why it's called this dirty war uh because it was very it was dirty the things that they were doing but wasn't political it wasn't um tactful diplomatic it was deplorable sure um in in so many ways um and so in kiss of the spider woman you get to see a hint of it, I guess. You get mm. to, you get a certain sense that you know the the police in this prison don't do things by the book. You know, right. they're yeah. not going to get slapped with a complaint charge from a prisoner, and that's going to get upheld by the you know. There's right. none of that going on. What they say goes. They are very much in charge. Yes. Um, but it's really only a kind of tiny snapshot as to some of the awful things that were that were going on. Right. It is more the setting for this place, not maybe the primary plot. Of... Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely like that's the thing. So, Kiss of the Spider Woman isn't about the dirty war. Yeah, not specifically. It's just the certainly. Set, yeah, is a is a way into it. I would say like, I didn't learn about the dirty war in uh, U.S. history or in world history mm. in American mm-hmm. curriculum. Did you learn much about Argentinian no. politics? I've only learned stuff about Argentinian politics specifically through musical theater. Yeah, me too, which is a wild thing. Um, Yes. Wouldn't you say? I think that's a ridiculous thing. Yeah. Because it's so significant and so important. Right. And yet, like, I don't even... There there may be plays out there. Sure. uh, Talking about this, but certainly none that I've heard of or seen that have come to the fore. Yeah. Yeah, um, and certainly, absolutely. Kiss of the Spider Woman, uh, which I don't know if we actually mentioned, based on mm. a novel, but also has yeah. a couple different movie adaptations. Like, certainly not an unheard of piece in, um, you know, Amerocentric, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely, Amero- think, Eurocentric literature. Yeah, like John Hart won an Oscar for his yeah. portrayal of uh, Melina. Yeah, so. It, it was a significant, again, a significant movie. And the book itself mm-hmm. was hugely significant because it was written almost contemporaneously. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously, the, kind of exposing this world that was right. happening In a, at the time. Very dangerously. Very, very dangerously. Um, and one of the main characters is a gay man, like an out gay man. Uh-huh. Um, not even a subtext gay man. He was, right. you know, that's the point. Yeah. Um, so the book was extremely controversial, but it still kind of stood the test of time and has obviously been adapted mm, with things like this. Times. Yeah. Um, very importantly. Uh, but yeah, in terms of uh, what we see of the Dirty War in uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman, um, most of it's kind of done through the torture mm-hmm. um, and kind of manipulation yeah. of our two inmates, Molina and Valentin. Yes. Um, and we do see some scenes of torture where they kind of beat their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, they poison their food. Yeah. Uh, they kind of play them off of each other. That's a really kind of crucial thing yeah. all the way through the show, to be honest. Yeah. Um, that's almost like the inciting incident. Yes. For that... everything. Well, and, and, um, and is Molina's main drive is that the yeah. reason he exists and, and you know, retreats into these uh worlds of fantastical movies is to avoid the torture of uh, literally avoid looking at it and experiencing it yeah um can i tell you i was disappointed um Mm. the so they did um where you are at the tonys um yes and like it's a dance number i'm picturing things in my head and what i want and who knows, maybe a revival has done this. And if not, please steal this idea because I think it's great. <laughs> um, the, uh, so where you are, we're maybe halfway through Act 1. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to bring in a prisoner to torture in front of Valentin and Molina to try mm-hmm. and get them to talk as a you know, kind of subsidiary torture. Um, yep. And Molina says, not for me. I, here's what I do. Um, I envision Aurora. And then on comes Cheetah Rivera to do the dance number where you are. Um, which is exactly what you'd expect. It's a you know big production dance number with a bunch of burly men surrounding Cheetah Rivera. Mm-hmm. What I want is right behind that for there to be the torture. Mm-hmm. And they don't do that. And it made yeah. me dis- that's what I pictured. Um, yeah. Um, and I think that's a, an extremely good point. Um, I think that is a, 
almost like a product of its time. Sure. Um, because we're still in the 90s, um, and we don't talk about the 90s that much on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's a tricky time, because it's a transition Yeah. Um, where a lot of stuff is very light and Andrew Lloyd Webbery, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and we've, we've talked about that quite a lot. What right. we haven't really talked about is the opposing side to that yeah the like super dark um... very dark kind of it's kind of not pseudo intellectual like very much intellectual yeah but sub- trying to just subvert the form um yeah. and move away from what we know as like the musical comedy you know right. the starlight express we're moving away from that right um and we're trying to really kind of use musical theater to uh, kind of do exactly what kiss of the spider woman does and, and shed light on things yeah make a commentary on things um but using that musical theater form yeah because like if um, you look at kiss of the spider woman one in 93 it's book ended on mm-hmm. either side 92 crazy for you ran uh or one yep. um and yep. then uh 94 we go right into passion um yep. but you look at the things surrounding it you know kiss of the spider yeah. woman up against it the year before five guys named mo jelly's last jam and then of course falsettos yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting time, the 90s. It is, theater. it absolutely is. And I think, like, because um, it's not that long until we get, like, urine time. Sure. Like, we kind of circle, the pendulum swings backward almost as a parody of itself. But I think, but see, because I'm making this the point of sense that, like, um, urine town is subverting the form. Like, urine town Got it. Sure. at its core is, is actually really dark. Right. Um, and it does make a, a weird commentary. Yeah. Um, but using the kind of, this is musical comedy, everyone. Aha, but is it? You right. Know I mean, that kind of like, take a look at yourself. Yeah, like almost vibe. a parody of musical theater. Yeah. Do you, yeah. I don't know. Have we talked about this on podcasts? But I do think that like the, the you know, as we uh, often jokingly refer to it, the dark time of the 90s, mm-hmm. I think a lot of this very directly is attributed to the aids epidemic in new york yeah we've we have talked about it before um but it's it's so significant yeah and so i think that i it it is this is you know assumptions about art that was all created in a vacuum so it's hard to put any kind of through line through this but either you swing towards something completely you know uh, uh vapid and toe tappy to like dive into that escapism or Mm -hmm. art leads you to the dark dark places that our real world is living Um, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. explicitly in the case of falsettos but even in kiss of the spider woman um you know is exploring a dark a really dark theme even darker than a lot of other candor nebs used to go like yeah uh cabaret seems plenty dark but also has that distance that i think the subject matter of kiss of the spider woman doesn't have no, not at all. It's, it places you right in the thick of it. Yeah. I would say very much so. Um, but yeah, to jump back to your point about wanting more of that darkness. Sure. I think it's because we weren't fully there yet. Yeah. Um, I think if a production of this was mounted now. Yeah. It would go there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it absolutely would. Um, because it, it wouldn't it wouldn't detract from the story. You would still understand that as long as Molina wasn't observing the torture, as long as Molina wasn't getting involved in that. Right. Um, oh, you make that the whole thing. Cheetah Rivera grabs him, turns him around, is like, no, 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 dance with me, dance with me. Here exactly. we go. And like you yeah, see yeah, like yeah. the whatever prisoner, like I it's you know, it would be the sort of number that would be equally as funny and grotesque at the same time. Exactly. In the tone of the show. 
yeah and because it's interesting like a lot of the reviews at the time um because they're still getting to grips with the idea of musical comedy not being musical comedy right um they they talk about the fact that well actually it's too irreverent like they can't get this balance of you know seriousness and then glitz and glam sure whereas what we kind of know now is actually when you mar the two together yeah it's that's what's shocking that's where it gets you in the gut because you need to you need to go there right yeah i mean we when it's just full-on darkness yeah we're kind of numb to that right but when you Um, combine the two it is the sort of thing that you know we're seeing between oklahoma and now what's coming out of the woodwork about west side story absolutely we're this is the time where audiences seem ready for that yeah it's we're in the thick of it absolutely so um yeah, I th- I think it would be so interesting to see a production of this now. Yeah. Um, for many reasons and a few reasons that I think we'll get to in a bit. Sure. Um, but one of the things uh, I do want to bring up, and uh-huh. I brought this back up, um, if you remember everyone from our Vita episode, uh-huh. um, is it talks about this musical called "These Trees Are Made of Blood." Yes. Um. So that musical is like what we're talking about right now. Yes. Um. It's it really. So it's set, again, in the Dirty War, mm-hmm. um, but specifically about the Dirty War um, and more specifically to do with the disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whole thing, if again, if, if people know this or not, because it's, it's like I say, it's not taught in US history, it's not taught in our history. Yeah. Um, but basically, one of the worst things that happened in the Dirty War is people, young children... Uh, and teenagers who were involved in this kind of counterculture movement, these protesters, mm-hmm. um, would just be kidnapped mm-hmm. um, and imprisoned without anyone in their family knowing they would just disappear. Yeah. And we're talking in the like tens of thousands here. Mm. Um, and uh, as part of this, yeah. every day, um, the only people that would fight against them uh, were the mothers. Mm-hmm. And the mothers would come uh, to the Plaza de Mayo um, in Argentina uh, and and protest every day and call for their children. Um, as this protesting, they still do it till today mm-hmm. um, because their children have still disappeared. They still don't know where their don't children where are. Yeah. Um, and that is like to think of that as a part of history that you don't know anything about. Oh, yeah. is baffling because that is huge yeah i mean that is it's crazy significant and to i remember seeing this show finding out about this and being like what have i where have i been living because it's not like it's still the western world you know this right (laughs) like and it's relatively contemporary right and our conceit of what it is well and it i mean (sighs) i always struggle with this because i like our podcast being kind of an escape from some of the horrors of reality yeah Um, but like man oh man can I draw you some straight lines between, you know, kids being taken away from their parents and trapped and political right. unrest and unknown political prisoners? And, you know, fuck it. Like the terrible treatment of gay people and a growing, you know, uh, uh, sometimes a meme, sometimes not about sending them to electroshock therapy camps. Like, mm-hmm. let mm-hmm. me tell you, history seems to have a habit. That's it. And, but it's, it's one of those things that's like, how can we learn from history when we don't know these stories? Right. Yeah. You know? And, when and, you, that's a, like, and like to, to, to experience them, you know, we talk about this tons and tons to the point where I think we've beaten the dead horse too much. But like mm. to experience 
in the, in the way that we can say in the same breath, this is not a musical about the Dirty War, but it is mm-hmm. a musical that makes you feel all the things that f- people felt during the Dirty War. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, theater, musical theater, this sort of art form does so well, is mm-hmm. documenting not the specific, like, historical facts, which sometimes yes. seem cold and human, but instead yes. documenting, like, stories and how people feel and what it felt like to be those people and then effectively communicating them to a contemporary audience yeah um yeah a hundred percent and i think that like these two shows um capture this horrific part of history yeah really well two very very different ways but at the heart of it they're both extremely human Mm -hmm. yeah um and i think that's very important so i really implore people i'll put the cash recording in the notes uh for these trees are made of blood because I want it to come back. I, I honestly think it's incredible. I think it's such uh-huh. an incredible piece. Um, and it's that kind of thing. It's like, if we can get more people knowing that this happened, right? all the better. Yeah. Um, so maybe if everyone listens to it on SoundCloud, someone will be like, hey, <laughs> hey let's what happened another here? production of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's let's call for that. Because it, it's, it's honestly so incredible. Um, but also let's get another production of Kiss of the Spider Woman because we know that that works. That's true. Um, yeah. I would love that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah it it just two very good shows capturing this really horrible part of history yeah well and jimmy this show almost didn't happen a thousand times over i know um let's find out why We talked about it in the quiz question. The origins of Kiss of the Spider Woman mm-hmm. um, are quite interesting. Yeah. Um, as often musical theatre productions are. Yeah. Um, so I think it started off right at the start um, with the whole creative team being immediately on board. I think it was mm. Fred went to John and was like, Like, what are we hey, going to do? Let's try this. Let's do Kiss of the Spider Woman. John was like, Absolutely. That sounds perfect. Um, they went to Terrence McNally, who uh-huh. was like, sounds boss then they went to hal prince they've all worked together at this point and they're like hal prince is like superb let's do it yeah. although he he weirdly didn't like the film yeah which i found interesting uh Chita rivera also found the film difficult to follow i think she's confusing yeah. yeah which is um fascinating but both loved the book yeah so there you go that's someone to go to um and so they've mounted this creative team everyone's on board mm-hmm. then they take it to everyone else mm-hmm. and everyone else is like it will never work right 
you can't do this. Yeah. Um, and you don't really find out. They never really discuss why, but I can only assume it's because of the subject matter. Sure. And it does. It sounds like there are. I couldn't track down any old reviews of the original. So they took it to um, uh, the State of the University of New York had a program <laughs> called New Musicals where they were going to yes. do just this. They were going to workshop a bunch of musicals. This yes. was the quiz question. Secret Garden was workshop there. My favorite year was workshop there. And Kiss yes. of the Spider Woman. Um, and I can't find... I've I found a lot of like, this thing is happening articles uh-huh. about yeah. the production, but no good reviews of it. But when yeah. you hear the creative team talk about it, they very much seem to say like, it wasn't good. It was, you know, it was rough. And we were workshopping it. And that was the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the drama of it all, um, and like this is a, I find this concept fascinating. Um, mm. b- very explicitly based on some of the stuff we do, Jimmy. Um, yeah. But the creative team at New Musicals at uh, the State of University of New York Purchase um, asked that New York uh, critics not see the shows or at the very least not review the shows Mm -hmm. um, because they're workshops because they're works in progress and the reviewers said no thanks but no thanks and Mm -hmm. then went and published the reviews anyway which almost sunk kiss the spider woman because it was not reviewed well exactly i mean so basically the the reviewers their opinion was well you're spending all these money on lights and set and costumes why wouldn't you want it to be reviewed and um hal prince kind of rebuked this uh, saying that, well, the whole point of new musicals yeah. um, and this workshop series that they were doing is that anytime you do a workshop, you don't have these things. Right. So you never get a sense of what this show actually looks like because a lot of the theatre, specifically musical theatre, relies on the spectacle. Yeah, the trappings um, are a part of it. A huge part of it. And especially something like this, mm-hmm. where you need to see this contrast between the prison yeah. and these beautiful decadent scenes with Aurora. Right. Um, it's it's intrinsic yeah uh, and so what hal did was just give someone that opportunity of like well here you go let's actually give this a go and try it out yeah it's an incredible idea yeah it's so so good yeah. um so yeah when they found out that the reviewers were coming mm-hmm. um i think all of the creative teams from all of the shows and the workshops yeah. went to the new york times and were like listen this is what new musicals is this is why we don't think this is a good idea yeah for you to come and review this we don't want you to do this and they did it anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, there, and I, I don't understand. I think it was, I can't remember whether it was Hal or the producer who was talking about this, but that mm-hmm. like what was different between workshopping something at new musicals and like the old, the older tried and true tradi- tradition of like trying something out of town in Boston or mm-hmm. Philadelphia is like in Boston or Philadelphia, you don't get to put that big workshop. This is a workshop, you know, asterisk next next to the production it's still a production and we're still there nowadays like something previews in chicago it's still like the general public still goes and they still want it to be a show you don't get that kind of like artistic leeway whereas like you could go into new musicals and be like here's act one we don't know act two yet yeah let us know what you think and like that seems to be more of the spirit of the thing yeah but I want to, like, what What do you, we do this, right? We've talked about shows before they've hit Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, these are the, th- this is also why I, I always bristle a little at the moniker critic when applied to myself, mm. because I yeah. don't want to be what these people from the New York Times did. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think, I don't think we are because what we're, uh, when we're having these discussions, we're not saying go see this show or this show isn't worth your money. Sure. We're saying this is this show's place in the world of musical theatre yeah. that we know and love. Yeah. Um, and I think anytime we have talked about shows, whether it was Comet or whether it was um, like Be More Chill, mm-hmm. uh, we will always talk about the fact that it's a work in progress that it's still going. And we always kind of talk about this is what would be so cool for when it gets developed. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of thing is to me helpful because I mean, obviously yes, who are we to, you know, give Hal Prince some, some thoughts. Sure. Uh, But I I will also say who are New York times critics like precisely. But that thing is like, we're not critiquing because it's not, it isn't the finished article. Yeah. And we are well aware of that when we discuss these things that sure. it's it's got a room to breathe and we have hopes for sure. where it will breathe to. Whereas what the New York Times was doing was like, this doesn't work. Right. This is silly. This is too, you know, this whole flashy thing, but talking about the dark, like this doesn't work. Yeah. That isn't, that's not fair. Do you think, I don't know quite how to frame this thought and so let me mm. word vomit on you for a second like thank you when... i've got a towel so excellent <laughs> uh when, when does the creation of something end then like well i i mean i'm sure it's cliche but i, I don't think it really it does I, until sure. you just decide to to put it to bed yeah um or someone makes that decision for you yeah um you know as, as someone who's written things and yeah. who does write things yeah i will always keep working on it we were just talking about it before the podcast yeah um, i'm doing into, into the, woods. the woods again and you know for the 50 umpteenth billion time um yeah. and they made some changes <laughs> and it you blows I mean? my mind yeah uh, like the published mti script has changes in it that i don't remember from last time i did it and like yeah. i know this musical backwards and forwards um which is wild to me but so then like here i think this is my more concrete follow-up question Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing kind of a, a, a death to critics push right now. We talked about mm. it with Lightning Thief, um, mm. and like I am, and between us and how some of the internet approaches things like Lightning Thief and Be More Chill and some of these things that have a life even before Broadway, which we adore. Yeah. Is this like where where which one's the chicken, which one's the egg? Are we Im- as a art growing? culture starting to appreciate more that like the process is the product and the line isn't drawn and this thing will always be in flux and i get to just see what it is tonight which is so exciting Mm. or is it more like we're seeing a like death to print media and the uh intellectual elite and we're just embracing um you know uh uh people can love what they love and screw the rest like and certainly it's bits and pieces, but I, I, I mm-hmm. do see like two different ways to get to the same conclusion there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they need to be like mutually exclusive there, to be honest, because like if we take something like the lightning thief, for example, uh-huh. yeah, the way that our musical theater and particularly American musical theater is structured uh-huh. is after your previews on Broadway, your show is done. Right. Right. And just, I think just from even like a legal standpoint. Right. You, you close the book. People's contracts are over. It's, yeah. it's done. Yeah. Um, so no, sorry. I, I don't mean, I, I mean like once the show's up and running. Oh, got it. Right. It's done. Once it Very opens. rarely sure. will they then continue to make changes because yeah. 
and I don't I don't know the specific like equity policies on this and things like that. I'm sure, sure it just has things but to do I know, with rehearsal. I know, there are, and... I know there are policies in place true too about like script locking and like yeah. when and like Tony eligibility and the, you know it must be substantially the same from when it exactly. opens to at the end of its eligibility date and like all this yep. sort of stuff is is baked into what we assume is this institution. Yeah. Um and we know that there there are exceptions and we've we've talked about them before in the the show. Yeah. Um but I think uh, my expectation as an audience member is if something is after previews, what I will then go to expect is something that feels complete. Sure. Right? Up until that moment, yeah. I don't mind. Right. It's anyone, you know? anyone's guess. And I go in with that expectation. And yeah. like you just kind of said, I find a lot of excitement in that. Yeah. I, I love seeing the bare bones because... I love seeing the transition. I love seeing the change. Yeah. Um, because that's where the creativity is. Yeah. Well, and they, uh, the Jimmy and I both watched, uh, there's a beautiful interview, which I'm sure we'll put in the show notes. It's mm, absolutely. Uh, uh, like working in the theater. I've watched a couple of these from, for, I watched a Lion King one. Um, I always yeah, love Yeah, there's a ragtime one as well that's really yeah, good. Yeah, they like pull together all the creators of a show and just interview them in what looks like the dirtiest, dankest, late <laughs> 90s basement in the world. Um, but there's one of all the creators of Kiss of the Spider Woman. And I think uh, Hal, either Hal, oh God, I'll never know if it was Hal or the producer, apparently. Mm -hmm. One of them said um, after they did some tryouts in Canada before, in Toronto, before Broadway, um, mm -hmm. once the show closed, they actually went back into rehearsal for two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and like that was even a baffling idea for me. Because um, of course yeah. you want to do that. All right, it's closed. Now let's play around with it a little more. Um, yeah, but I, I but understand. I think that's I think that's brilliant. Yeah, and it, it, it would be. It doesn't happen on Broadway because once you've reached Broadway, that's the top. Right. So it's not like okay, we've done Broadway, so now let's get ready for yeah X. Right. Um, it, it, it's that that is now the production kind of thing. Sure. And you would imagine that if it then closed. Uh, to then reopen again there's not really anywhere it could reopen but right. you would rework it and the closest thing though i can think about mm -hmm. um is hades town in london sure to then hades town on broadway yeah and the deep deep significant changes that occurred between those two productions sure um they were already as close to the finished article as you could you could kind of get yeah um and i think i think it's in many ways hades town has really benefited from that yeah again readjustment yeah um so maybe you're right maybe there is still merit in changing and, and keeping it going well, and, and continuing to be creative but... i guess i guess what i'm thinking more and i'm just coming around to this thought but i wonder if like kiss of the spider woman was the model for what is becoming the contemporary musical theater revision model um hmm. beyond just like have an idea out of town tryouts bring it back but like getting into workshops more, you know, what other, what other shows in the mid nineties or early two thousands that weren't like big Euro musicals premiered on the West end first mm -hmm. as a means of experimenting as a trialing. Yeah. As opposed to, as a means of like, we don't think this is going to play well on Broadway. So we're going to hedge our bets and do it in London first. Yeah. Um, you know, but well, I think I, I don't, I don't know though, because I feel like, um, London in the 90s to London now. Sure. It, like the West End's kind of crept up the rung a little bit. So it's a yeah, lot yeah, riskier yeah. Yeah. to just try it out in London. Right. Um, 
which is a shame right because i think like obviously it really helped yeah um with well, that, i mean like i wonder you know if if you're if you're an up-and-coming mayor with your suspenders on right now you want to mm. be that intellectual you know powerhouse tryout of a musical theater um like when i lived in chicago it certainly was chicago for a bunch of stuff um, between yeah. SpongeBob and Adam's family, uh, living in Denver, they tried out Frozen here first. Absolutely, um, yep. and like you'd you'd bet your balls that like Disney was you know doing some uh, demographic studies about the theater going audiences in Denver and to see how they would mm-hmm. receive to the the idea of a Frozen musical. Yeah. Um, and so interesting to see that played out as early as the '90s. I've never yeah e- absolutely encountered that before, and. To the creator's end, they'd state very clearly that the show probably wouldn't be what it is. They would have, I imagine they either would have capitulated sooner to what the critics wanted, or Mm -hmm. it never would have made it out of the trunk had they not had this kind of workshoppy start. Yeah. Well, I, I, absolutely. Um, and they talk, Hal Prince kind of laments the fact that, um, that it was kind of noticing the change of what was happening in the 90s and the Euro musical coming in and yeah. um, Broadway becoming much more of a, a commercial venture sure. as opposed to an artistic venture. Yeah. Um, and he was saying it, it's such a shame that they have to travel to Canada yeah. to get away uh, from that. To do this. Yeah. Why isn't there something in the home of the American musical right. that will help support yeah. American musicals? Yeah. Um, and he's totally right. It makes no sense. And it actually, it's quite poignant. At one point, he says, I don't doubt down the line, this will happen and there'll be something out there mm-hmm. that will, you know, we'll have our Toronto. Yeah. We still don't have our Toronto. That's fair. There have been, you know, what I mean? you know, plenty that tried. Like, what was, what's the, you know, is it the, <coughs> how did Avenue Q start? Um, the BMI Langham Engel Musical Theater Workshop. Um, right. The BMI Workshop uh, uh, is, it's like an invitation, composers and lyricists, like, workshop, um uh thing group uh-huh um but then it's still a workshop sure um but like that's because workshops happen right workshops are is... a very much a necessary part sure Th- they like a bunch of composers and lyricists meet together to show off their stuff to each other Okay. Um, and now that I remembered the name of this, I can list off the grand list of things that started in this workshop, mm-hmm. um, including a chorus line, The Adams Family, Anastasia, Avenue Q, Beauty and the Beast, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Frozen, Grand Hotel, Grey Gardens, High Fidelity, The Life, Little Shop of Horrors, Raisin, Susicle, Shrek, on and on, S- Sister mm-hmm. Acts. Like, you should look at this list. Um, but I, that isn't, that won't be the show, that won't yeah. be the productions. There's no, no you're way. Right. You're right, you're you right, know? you're right. This is that just, will be ideas or this songs. This is like or... story time with And it, what composers. it also might be is, I've completed this show and I'm going to show off to you. Right. And you know, the fact, it, I was with you until I said Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, no, you're fair. Or Frozen, like. You know, yeah, that thing is like just the theatrics aren't. Yeah. Um, but so that but that thing is there's still not there's not this like lovely idea of like yeah we're out of town we're trying something this is fresh and new I can't wait for this buzz. I wonder. Um, I wish there was more because like uh, the new musicals was out of a college like yeah good good performing arts colleges you know or even mediocre performing arts colleges seem like ripe for this kind of thing absolutely um, beyond just an artist in residence but I wish there was a. Uh, you know, a liaison group that would like hook up yeah. professional artists with workshops with, you know, <laughs> regional colleges. What we're missing is Hal Prince. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We just don't have people like that anymore. Yeah. We have commercial heads yeah, who have are companies. really, really keen. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah um and it, again in this this amazing interview mm-hmm. uh, it's just so interesting just because it's a kind of then and now thing right um but i think it's even garth drabinsky the producer mm-hmm. or it might be in Hellprince. i love that we keep getting See? that mixed up See? um yeah <laughs> uh, but one of them talks about uh the fact that there are just no creative producers anymore. Yeah. Um, producers are producers with their business hats on. Right. Um, and they're thinking more like investors. Yeah. As opposed to thinking about the art. Sure. Um, and he talks about how inhibiting that is. And it is so right. Yeah. It is so inhibiting. It's such a a, a strain. You know, yeah. we've seen it so many times with shows that we love. Yeah. Um, that we know we'll never get a look in because right. no one will give them money. Yeah. But I do um, want, I do wonder, you know, as much as like we've seen it rise and fall, but the fact that Be More Chill made it to Broadway, like maybe... I know, but it made it to Broadway because it was sellable because of this whole meme culture. Sure, that it, but it wasn't, it wasn't written to be a sellable meme musical. It became popular first. And like, I think that speaks to yeah. the power of good art, right? And now we have like instead of needing a Hal Prince, the person who can break through the glass ceiling to the producing of Broadway, we just have the internet. And if, you know, like, I bet you... It needs more than that because it needs money. Sure, but to it's easy, once you can point at the Tumblr followers, you can be like, "Look, look, those those num those likes mean money," you know. I know, but what Tumblr follower is gonna love Kiss of the Spider Woman? Fair, fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we've got our own little group of people who love Octet, right? You know, yeah, and. We, you know, our kind of like clan Dave Malloy. Yeah. We are a very small camp, but we're never going to go viral on Tumblr. Yeah. Because... And, and meanwhile, productions get more and more expensive to mount because you have these expectations for how big they're going to be and what they're going to look like. Exactly. Yeah, so that's it, a there is circle it, to square. It kind of at every stage, there's a selling out moment. Yeah. Um, and it's just a shame. It's, it really it's is. just a shame. Um, and yeah i don't know let's make this plea now to f- philanthropists out there listening <laughs> to this please start up a new musical workshop initiative yeah, yeah. please we'll we'll um, do we'll do a feature on every show yeah absolutely <laughs> dumb I, I don't know i just feel like because i think about it i'm like there's candor and ebb and hal mm-hmm. prince working together with terence mcnally yeah like on a new show in a workshop format yeah right like to me that's bad i can't picture any creative team right that we know at the moment that would do that yeah and the and you know any producer that would go in kind of blind to that with yeah a, with a wacky idea in the team yeah yeah and that they know what they're doing i don't see that like you know the teams that we see nowadays people like pace and paul right i don't trust them to do something with with their creative uh, with their commercial hat I off. Could, right, I could see them. Well, I think I think that's cart before the horse. I think Pesk and Paul know that they live in a world where they need to sit down at that producer's audition with something commercial, because mm-hmm. otherwise they're never going to make it out the gate. And, and so, uh, but yeah, uh, you've so already yeah, exactly. you've already stomped on a whole bunch of potential for you know weird or bizarre seeming yeah. artistic steps um, before they even walked out the door. Like, well, if it's not them, then who else? Sure. Yeah. No, that's know. fair. I mean, it, it's my second plea of the podcast. It keeps it keeps <laughs> circling. It keeps circling around. But you know who it is? It's our man, Lin Manuel Miranda. Like, well, yeah, he needs to do it, but yeah. he won't. He has. You know, Hamilton is a ridiculous idea. I have this autobiography that I'm going to adapt into a popular, the most popular musical ever. Hmm. And it's a 700-page, yeah, okay. dry, boring autobiography. Um, but will he do it again? 
I think he's the only reason he's been able to do it is because he does it all by himself. He can uh, get far enough without convincing anyone. He can get far enough that he has something to convince other people. Whereas Kander yeah. and Ebb need each other and someone like McNally. And even then, sometimes some of their stuff doesn't do too well. I I will be surprised if Lin-Manuel uh, uh, does anything close to hamilton again i'll be very surprised i oh yeah no i think i I, and i don't mean i don't mean because he no uh, not because he wouldn't be good at it yeah i just think it's because he knows that that isn't the world that he will get the most out of no 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 i think he's got a curse of the sondheim like do you think i absolutely whether whether he explicitly knows it or not but that's why moana and like the new Moss Eisley Cantina theme in Star Wars are the stuff we see Lin-Manuel Miranda yeah. in because these are hedgeable bets. Whereas, like, you know, how many times, how many revisions did Bounce have before Sondheim was even mildly pleased with it? Not because Sondheim is bad at what he does, but because you've raised the expectation so astronomically high that mm. anything else you do will pale in comparison to what you've done, and you don't get to apologize for it because we have a, a, this, like, gentleman's agreement that we can't apologize for theater beforehand, which is why workshops can't happen. Yeah. Anyway. But then maybe that's it. That, like, I guess it is just the risk. In the same way that I would also, also argue about. But then uh, Saudi still tried Roadshow three times. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And people you signed know? on to it because he was on time at that point. I wish. I don't know. I'm going to stand on my soapbox just for a second longer. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Th- because I worked in educational theater for so long. Um, and one of the things I. N- know and hold as a truth about educational theater is that the show will always be exactly as great as it can be. Um, And one of the reasons for that is you can pull all sorts of shit in educational theater. Mm. Like, oh my God, the set fell over yesterday and 10 of the actors have gotten amnesia and forgotten all their lines, (laughs) right? Yeah. And you can have the director walk out before the show starts and be like, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. As you may have heard, the set fell over yesterday. So we'll be performing it in front of a projected uh, PowerPoint presentation that we put together 10 minutes ago. And 12 of our actors will be holding scripts and standing downstage reading from music (laughs) stands. But they're your children, so please clap for them. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy Susical. Um, Yeah. And like... We can get away with that in educational theater because it's kids. But what we forget is that we never stop being kids. You know, Mm -hmm. we just get more and more confused until we, you know, decide we call ourselves adults. And, like, if we lived in more of a culture where we could accept that, like, we see it happen now more and more because people are bring their phones to shows. When, you know, Joe Iconis has to step out before Be More Chill and be like, hey, listen, uh, the sound system's screwed. So uh, it's going to be weird today. Um... You know, like this happens all the time nowadays. Yes, yeah, And people, and it, you know, becomes the most like tweet. Um, yeah. And I think if we just accepted that imperfection a little more. Yeah, And absolutely. as artists, we're more okay being like apologizing for our work. Like I remember when I was in, when I was more of an actor in audition classes and people would be like, don't apologize for your audition. You know, don't mm. never apologize for your art. And like. I think we could give ourselves some more leeway there to be able to mm-hmm. say, like, this isn't what I want it to be yet. We're working yeah. on it, but we'd like to show you what we have. Absolutely. I don't think that's an apology. I think that's just, it's that's taking pride, I would say. I think it's it's believing in your idea and believing in 
yourself um and knowing that this will that will come somewhere i don't i don't even think apology needs to come into it like it's it's more just being like well maybe it's not apology maybe it's like asking for forgiveness before the fact right but like just being okay with that yeah yeah just being okay with that saying that like this is 80 percent of what i want to show you and yeah. I'd love for you to see that, or 60% or 20%. But I want yeah, you to know absolutely. what the 20% is going to be. Uh-huh. As and opposed, if you like that, that's right. great. Get excited about that. And then and when you make knows. the point when you can have the pie smell at the beginning and you can just walk in and have the whole experience be everything you want it to be, awesome. Yeah. And until yeah. then, you can let people know that it's not where you want it to be. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. Um, but hey, to steer it back. Yeah, let's talk about Kiss of the Spider Woman. On to Kiss of the Spider Woman. Um, yeah. That this is a bit isn't this interesting though that this you know random old music from the nineties is really yeah it, it it's kind of landmarked yeah a, a definite shift you know um in in the way that things are produced nowadays yeah uh, and I'm really glad that it caught the wave before and not after right um because I don't think and I'm we also know really glad yet. that uh, the New York Times with their stunt uh, didn't win yeah. And it still got made and it still was extremely successful. Yep. Um, take that, New York so, Times. I mean, don't yeah. take that. Some, you know, you can interview us whenever you want, but anyway. Um, okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so uh, let's delve in to a bit about what I think makes this good. And I'm not sure if you think it's good. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's go. All right. Let's go. If there's a war on, don't bring me the news. Ask me to and I must refuse But if you want to get my attention Let's make love If there's an earthquake I will not attend If there's a plague Don't invite me, my friend But if you want to Keep me looking in your direction Let's make Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So I get the feeling you don't like this. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm trying. We started out friends. I'm trying. Right. It was cool. But it was all pretend. Get out of here. Um, Sorry. I'm trying to like this show. Okay. I, or rather I should say, I'm trying to not let my immediate gut reactions to shows entirely color my re-listening of them. Okay. Which I think is a thing that past Tommy has done in the past. And has destroyed my opinions of Andrew Lloyd Webber and some other I things. would agree with that, yes. yes. Um, my initial reaction to this show, I did not know Kiss of the Spider-Woman well before we were mm-hmm. preparing for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found this show... Like, my first and second listen through, like, off-putting and, like, kind of triggering in a not-good way. 
Mm. Um, and it was a struggle to like get myself to re-listen to it. Very, very okay. honestly and frankly. Um, yeah. It's grown on me a little more. Mm-hmm. And like I think a lot of it has to do with the, the Molina Valentine. A lot of it has to do with story stuff. And yeah, 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 yeah. And the presentation and the choice to present this story in the way that they did when they did. Okay. If that makes sense. Do you do you mind talking a bit about uh what you said sort of triggered you sure. um, and, and kind of withheld you from listening to it yeah, again. Yeah, this, I mean, there's a, uh, the, the TV tropes term for it is kill your gaze. Um, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a trend across a lot of literature um, yeah. that especially, and like, then, then I had the thought, like, but wait a minute, Candor and Ebb and McNally, like, I guess I don't really know, but, like, mm-hmm. this seems like a pretty queer writing team, you know, mm-hmm. and normally the kill your gays trope is attributed, attribute, attributed to straight people writing gay characters. Um, mm-hmm. Gay characters, queer characters get killed a lot in pieces yeah. of fiction, sometimes because of their gayness, and that is their fatal mm-hmm. flaw, whether they get AIDS or something, um, or sometimes mm-hmm. it's just an accident, Um or, you know, unrelated to their gayness, but it is a thing that keeps happening. Um, yep. And you can understand why it would strike the queer community as off-putting if the characters they relate to keep getting <laughs> tragically murdered or killed mm-hmm. or whatever by their authors. Yeah. Um, and, like, so then, so, like, that's part of my initial reaction, right? Yep. Um, yep. Not knowing a lot of the history about it, not looking into any of the source material or anything like that. And so then I start delving on this journey. Um, and, like... There's a lot of, uh, you know, and this is where it gets really difficult representing something that is historically accurate in a newer time. Because I don't doubt, you know, the use of the word queer. They dropped the F-bomb a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. And even just like the, you know, calling him fruit and things like that. And the absolute mm-hmm. demeaning of a gay character here. Um, I don't doubt that that was absolutely accurate for the time. But then you're also making a choice to bring that back. And I understand that this is that this is a double-edged sword, right? Because you don't want to mm. forget our history. This is why we have things. This is like Laramie Project and Rent and like, you know, there's a lot of queer fiction that's about like, let's remember where we came from so we can continue to move forward. Yeah. But I don't, you know, from that perspective we don't need to remember how people were terrible to this out gay man for us to keep moving forward. Maybe is a question I have. Like I want to hedge all these things because my opinion keeps changing on this. Yeah, of Um, course. And I'm not entirely settled on it. And then a lot of like, you know, uh, uh, explicit descriptions of, of torture and sadness. And, you know, I, I have this struggle a lot of times you know, I, I work in a moderately progressive school. We have lots of, like, great outreach for queer kids and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of, of a round of presentations around this sort of stuff, they'll have, you know, people older than me, adults, talking about, like, how hard life used to be um, or their cousin who, you know, lived in New York during the HIV epidemic and how scary mm. it was for the time. And, like, sitting in the back and, like, watching these presentations happen Half of my brain, my brain is like, that's great, and we should share this stuff with our kids. And half of my mm. brain is like, these sophomores just want to get through math class. Like, yeah. you know, fire and brimstone and, you know, being gay will be a struggle. Like, mm-hmm. it was the whole idea around the it's get, It Gets Better project was, like, to kind yeah. of stamp some of that out. Um, yeah. And so 
I, I really have a visceral struggle with representing a sad, tragic, gay story in the 90s um, mm-hmm. without a little bit of nuance around it. And mm-hmm. there's not a ton of nuance, I would say, around mm-hmm. Molina's homosexuality. Um, he's a window dresser. You know, they capitalize on a lot of uh, uh, stereotypical queenie affectation, which I don't mm-hmm. want to dismiss as being untrue or not a part of gay culture or this sort of stuff. Like, I don't want to devalue it in that direction. Mm. But, and then, you know, Valentine, like, is this a love story or is Valentine using his sex to get Melina to do what he wants him to do? Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't listened to the show yet, Valentine, uh, who wants Melina to, like, communicate some messages to the outside, somewhere between either he's in love with him or he bribes him with sex. And that part, I would say, is open to interpretation, both from, yes. the, from the novel through to the musical. Like, that's the point. Um, yes. And I don't like that depiction um i always grow uncomfortable at the um uh uh conflagration of homosexuality and pedophilia um they leave Mm -hmm. it open Mm -hmm. as to whether or not molina's in jail for having sex with a man or corrupting a minor and like Mm -hmm. they do that a lot in literature like conflating those two things like all gays are pedophiles um which even if some gays are pedophiles, like bringing that story to the surface or adding that as a, a minor story prompt when it's really not terribly necessary, I take issue with. Um, so I think that that it was a lot of the like visceral reaction I have, um, which is a little disassociated from some of the history of the show, um, which mm-hmm. then gets a little more nuanced. Um, like certainly in this time, this is when uh, certainly in America, but also in Argentina and other parts of the world, like gay men were becoming more visible. Like this was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I've learned more about in studying some of this, like cultural understandings of homosexuality are different in ways that sometimes we don't think about. Um, and I certainly am not well versed in talking about this from an Argentinian perspective, but yeah. in some of the literature I've read about it, um, you know, there there is this connotation of machissimo and the the macho nature of being a man um, mm-hmm. in a lot of Latin countries, and the like homosexual acts are much more associated with receptive partners in Argentinian culture, at least according to what I read. Um, and so, just because and it's assumed this way, but just because Valentine is the top and Molina is the bottom, doesn't necessarily make Valentine gay by some readings of how this sort of stuff works around the time when Mm -hmm. this was being written. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's one part of it. The other one, which I read far too much about and don't want to get into, um, Mm. too much at least, because it's a bit in the weeds and there's enough academic literature about this that it's not settled. But the Mm. way... I'm going to mispronounce his name. um, Manuel Puig. Yep. um, The author of the original novel, the way this novel is presented, they often, it's, it's a very uh, interesting in its presentation. The dialogue isn't uh, attributed for a lot of it. So you just mm-hmm. see conversations back and forth and you kind of have to put together who is who, Molina and Valentin. Yep. But also, uh, uh, they play kind of fast and loose with Molina's gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of literature that analyzes this piece, not as if Molina is a gay man, 
but as mm-hmm. if Molina is a, a straight transgendered woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is an interesting interpretation that I think we mm-hmm. weren't progressive enough in the 90s to be able to put in a musical. But there's also plenty of trans erasure in literature, and that gets me a little up in arms sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that puts a whole, an entire, like that completely recolors the show. Mm-hmm. If this is a woman having sex with a man in this machismo culture, and like it, it totally revamps the entire thing, which certainly wasn't Candor and Ebb and McNally's intent as written. Mm-hmm. Like they've mm-hmm. written it as a gay man. Um, but so all of this threw me for a bit of a loop and is why I think I like I like listening to songs in this show as songs but as the story as a whole I still I still struggle with it okay I don't know what do you think I talked for too long no that was great um so I disagree with everything you say (laughs) (laughs) Um, excellent which is it's good because we're not sorry I'm from a mic we've not had that in a while so that's a lot of fun sure um so my relationship with this show Again, it's quite an interesting one. I saw an amateur production of it. Okay. Um, and I left at the interval. Mm, uh, interesting. Because it was a really poor production. Okay. Um, there were some bits of it that were great. Their set was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and their actor playing Molina was incredible. Um, but they just, they didn't get it. Yeah, okay. They, they pitched it completely wrong. Sure. Um, and at the time, I didn't appreciate that. I didn't really understand that. Right. Um, but they just weren't communicating what was happening. Yeah. And everything just felt really ridiculous. And then when Aurora would pop on, you're like, who are you? Right. Like, what the hell is going on? So it just kind of went over my head. Sure. Um, and then afterwards, kind of listened to it more, mm-hmm. kind of delved into the story a little bit more. Um, a really significant point <laughs> for me in this, uh, my sort of relationship with this show uh-huh. is um, one of my best friends, who's one of the best creative minds I know. Um, he, uh, it was at our, the 25th anniversary of the theatre company okay. uh, that I worked with. Um, and he came and did a performance um, and gave a speech. So his, his speech kind of started off talking about his history with uh, the company and how it inspired him to then go on and train as an actor. Sure. Um, and he... Uh, did it uh, as a preface to singing Dressing Them Up because he now works in fashion. Huh. Okay. That was a genius segue. Yeah, no, that's um, fun. And I, I came up to him and I was like, what is that from? Mm-hmm. Like that was, it, it felt like it was you um, it, like singing this song from the heart. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I just can't, I can't believe that it's actually from a show. Yeah. Uh, and he told me, oh, it's from Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yeah. And I was like, I've seen that and it was awful there is no way yeah. that what you just did yeah is from that show because it was so beautiful and narrative and you know i mean and interesting just from a character point of view i was like uh-huh. that isn't the show that i saw yeah and so that got me intrigued sure um and so i started to delve into it a bit more and i've since come to fall in love with the character of melina okay like a deep deep love because um I don't I don't actually know of another character that exists like him. Uh-huh. Um so for me, uh-huh, what Molina is, um, and actually kind of what Valentina is, mm-hmm. I think is the two parts of um Manuel Puig uh 
split up and put out into this novel. Um, okay. So Manuel Puig is LGBT. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, gay. Okay. Um, but had a lot of effeminate traits mm-hmm. um, and uh, was attracted to the, the pretty things in life. Sure. Um, he was also a Marxist and a leftist. Mm. Um, and so had these two parts of himself. And I just find it really interesting that he's delved into both of these halves of himself. Right. Um, so much so, and then brought them out as these two yeah. very much fully formed yeah, characters. in a pretty explicit way. Exactly. And I love, and I'm, I'm, I don't love, I'm obsessed with the idea that he's writing the harmony mm-hmm. between these two halves of himself. Yeah. Um, and the relationship that they have yeah. and the relationship that certainly develops is incredible, I mm. think. Um, yeah. Because what I always like to look at, and especially in these things, is, is completely purposeful. These two have been placed together in this confined space for mm-hmm. a reason. Right. Um, and I like to think about, well, what do they have in common and what do they have in opposition to each other? Sure. And I think... I mean, this show plays around with duality a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in many different guises. Um, and I think these two are, are really good kind of archetypes for this. Um, so obviously we do have Molina as this um, gay fantasist um, who, like I say, is obsessed with mm-hmm. the the pretty things in life mm-hmm. um, and beauty and decadence yeah. and... Uh, appreciates that and takes that in and it's so important to him yeah um we also have someone who's extremely passionate Mm -hmm. uh about um the revolution and the um prevalence of the left yeah um and the uprising against this this horrible government you know and so these are their two kind of key passions in life Mm -hmm. um both of those passions have brought them into hell Mm, sure through I'd, two means and yeah. have since turned into shame right uh that the thing that they love and the thing that is key to them yeah is the cause of their unhappiness sure um and how that then presents itself with each other because it starts off um molina is very bold with his presentations yeah um and his descriptions of Aurora um, and using it is very much like, this is where I go. This is how I deal with this. um, And this is me. Yeah. Um, And uh, Valentine is very much like, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, What you're doing, you're ignoring the cause. You should be fighting. You know, this is important. What the thing that's happening is is so important. Um, And they both kind of bring up these huge bravado of each of each other yeah yeah yeah. um but then over time they come to level out and appreciate Mm -hmm. the other one's uh passions yeah for what they are yeah um and then it circles right round perfectly into them re-falling in love sure with what they're passionate about sure um and accepting it in a whole new light yeah uh and so for um valentine yeah. that really kind of comes into play um in in the day after that right where he has this moment of like no this is why i'm doing it. it's a reaffirmation right um and with molina uh it kind of comes into play um 
uh, with oh is it called anyone but him uh anything for him anything for him mm-hmm. um and uh even uh, the song that he sings to his mother as well when she's yeah. dying you know it's he's accepted yeah what he has he's accepted yeah. that he is a gay man and actually that sure. isn't something that he should take shame with anymore it's it's just a part of him right um and that he can embrace it yeah uh, yeah so in terms of their relationship yeah that's what i love yeah um, yeah, yeah in terms of so the the love aspect yeah that they share sure um i i completely agree with you i think it is completely open to interpretation right um but my opinion is uh there's something so there's a quote hang on there's a quote that uh valentine says um when he describes what it what it means to be a man uh-huh and he says um not taking any crap is one thing but that's not the most important what really makes a man is a lot more it has to do with not humiliating someone else with an order or a tip even more it's not letting the person next to you feel degraded feel bad sure um and so if valentine was just doing it to manipulate molina right that flies in the face of his morals and for someone who's so morally driven well does it fly in the face of his morals or fly in the face of his masculinity it flies in the face of his morals because um valentine doesn't mind the fact that molina's gay sure that's Va- true valentine is is on the left you know he is he's yeah. supporting yeah. this counterculture what he did... doesn't like is the fact that yeah. molina ignores the facts his yes. triviality and this grandeur that he just puts up he doesn't appreciate that. Yeah. He thinks it's trivial and he outwardly says that yeah. um, in the show. No, and that's fair. And I did the this morning, I actually tracked it as I was listening and I'm pretty mm. sure Valentine actually never uses any gendered terms to, for, to refer to Molina. Um, Other than... Um, Unless anything he's, for him yeah unless he's where he talks about yeah but like, like specifically but yeah. early, there's a lot of times where it seems like they almost got i'll go out of the way to say person instead of mm-hmm. man um yeah which that that tracks like that kind of respect there absolutely um, um it, so f- i'm i'm very much in the camp that uh he did it because he comes he has come to appreciate this man sure. and all he can give him like it, and it's interesting because um so another kind of significant relationship that comes up in the story is the relationship between Molina um, and another straight man called Gabriel, yes. um, who he knows in the outside world. And um, there's a song called Gabriel's Letter, yeah, uh, where Gabriel's like, it's so touching that you love me. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry that I can't give it back to you. Right. Um, and it's kind of like the perfect relationship and then yeah. we find out at the end that actually it probably wasn't true right um and that gabrielle actually did have a lot more issue with it yeah um so i think actually what we see is the relationship with valentine mm-hmm. as a contrast yeah to that um and that actually their relationship is something more complex is something deeper um and i think valentine does love him i don't i don't think it's in the sense of like Valentine is gay or Valentine is bi or right. something like that. I think it's just, just human to human love. Human to human. And the only thing that he can kind of give Molina yeah. that Molina would want yeah. is affection. Sure. I do wonder. I watched Inside Out recently. When was the yes. last time you saw uh, Inside I'm Out? Ha- more do than you know, happy, very recently, yes. Do you know when they like venture into abstract thought? Yeah. Okay, we're going there. Um, 
we, we might turn <laughs> into polygons in a second. Yeah, we can't stay there for long. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think our differences of opinion come down to, I'm still trying to put words around this, but something that I might term uh, the limitations of metaphor. You're, okay. You're <laughs> on the you're on one side of the metaphor and i'm on the other side of the metaphor right i think i'm following like a lot of the things i struggle with are about literal queer representation both in the time period this was set and the time period it came out interpreting these characters as real people doing things in society Mm -hmm. a lot of the things you like come from inside an authorial brain as a metaphorical representation of an inner struggle that a singular human being might have for it. Like, that's what you started with. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a key part of it. It's, it's, it's one of the things that really hooked me. Right. Um, and I don't... Because it, as from an artistic standpoint, sure. yeah, it's, it's And I don't mean to say that, like, those... That duality inside a single person might not surface itself as a singularity between two people. Like, I don't mm-hmm. mean to say, like, that that's a ridiculous thing. But mm-hmm. that... I I like that. Mm-hmm. And the things that I struggle with are the only way that are are a result of the only way that that story could be communicated in this creation of art using humans as a metaphor, like as humans as metaphor for thought. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a way to put it. Um because we're not good at separating the difference between the thoughts we have in our brain and us as a you know corporeal human figure. Mm-hmm. And so the only way we can experience art about thought is by representing that through humans and humanality and things like that. Like, it's really hard. It's the same thing I'm struggling right, with right now. It's really mm. hard to talk about our thoughts in an accurate way without personifying them or mm-hmm. uh, metaphorizing them through metaphorizing yeah there we go that's Stunning. the well new done. word for the podcast that was great um without like putting this extra layer on top mm-hmm. because we don't know how to do it because our language mm-hmm. and our being just doesn't have the capability to do that sort of stuff yeah but the added layer that we need to communicate this story adds in some intricacies and nuances that are for whatever reason mildly triggering or uh off-putting to me reading them as overt things not Mm -hmm. reading them as the metaphor they're intended to be does that make any sense no it absolutely does and i think so well just to take that point um if we look at these people as real people yeah um i still don't see the issue interesting Um, okay so with molina and this representation of you know what many could say is a stereotypical effeminate gay like you say he's a window dresser yeah um what we know as um out and proud queer characters are that those people very much exist yeah and those people you know who a lot of people say perpetrate the stereotype right quote um, unquote yeah yeah uh are living happy normal lives very comfortable in their own skin um and I think that's Molina. Yeah, uh, fair. There's nothing wrong uh, with liking pretty things. Yeah. Rufus Wainwright has an incredible song about it. Um, and it's it's so true, you know? And what Molina does is he fully embraces that in a completely unashamed way. Sure. And that was why dressing them up 
hooked me yeah. because my friend took it in and embodied it and he's not he's not hyper feminine sure. but he has he's a, a deep affinity with the feminine sure. um and it, it it exemplifies that better than i think any other musical theater song yeah uh, that discusses a similar thing yeah better than angel yeah and rent you oh, know yeah. um and i just think like so melina then as a character feels so real and so undiscussed sure um and i i don't think you can take it out of the time period i right. I really don't yeah um because first of all obviously the character was created right in i think the 70s yeah um contemporaneously in the to a lot of the stuff yeah yeah um and so you know there's there's certain things that were happening then that yeah. people couldn't necessarily fathom yeah and um a lot of the stuff to do with the gender expression yeah no totally that you know that it just it just wasn't in the vernacular yet really. no no i mean oh maybe only even in the past half a decade has it even been mildly in pop vernacular um, yeah and to, and certainly to a point where you can have like a really healthy discussion about it right you know yeah. without uh, without have it becoming like a and, yeah or pulling out a dictionary and being like no 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 you mean this not that uh, yes you exactly know? pull like you reach um, you reach to the white door and pull down the gender bread person and they're like okay we gotta we gotta <laughs> learn for a second absolutely um but it was interesting so you said um at one point like uh you don't think that that was ever candor and ebbs intention yes they were never like to them molina is a gay man a cis gay man um i, I would stand by that i wouldn't okay uh, because of the song uh she's a woman mm, interesting um which ends with the lines um uh how lucky can you be so lucky you will be and i wish that she were me that woman um hmm. he's talking fair, about fair aurora yeah um, but the whole the whole conceit of this show is that um when molina is talking about aurora he is talking about the person yeah. that he wants to be um and you know in in uh, she's a woman yeah it's a beautiful song about again loving all of these pretty things the sure. decadence yeah um and how yeah he he knows he will never get there right as a man because of this expectation that's been put on him sure um yeah and what is kind of heartbreaking in a way is that only in this hellhole yeah is molina able yeah to exist as the person he wants to be yeah no because out in the real world he wouldn't be allowed right but in here yeah. he's found someone who accepts him for who he is right um eventually yeah and uh embraces that world and i think that's yeah. why he falls in love with valentine because yeah. valentine i think sees him as a person yeah sure not as yeah. a gay man yeah um and it, the i want to just jump on the point as well uh we talked about what, what was the trope uh kill your gaze kill your gaze yeah kill your gaze um that's so funny uh yeah we're not killing our gaze here i don't think sure because only applies. in the movies right uh, yeah he he gets killed yeah but kill Sorry, your gaze. I have correct misquoted. Me if I'm wrong. I've misquoted this. I wanted to Google it. Bury your gaze, which is actually bury your gaze. A better bury, term. Okay, cool. Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Bury sure. your gaze is uh, you kill the gay character whilst they're still gay and oppressed. Yeah, uh, basically. 
they're that right. that queer queer folk are more expendable. It's a yep. you know it's a trope not intentionally, but because queer characters yeah. are often secondary, so they're often killed off. Right, and they don't they're never fleshed out. They never they won't reach the end of their story. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And the story that will be told is this you know beautiful right representational thing. I think even it's worth arguing even in Rent. Yeah. I don't think it happens as well yeah. as it does here. That's fair. Because actually, what I would like to argue is that Molina. Mm-hmm is done yeah he gets his redemption or not redemption is, wrong word but he gets his heaven he gets his he gets his thing he he basically like his he escape. has achieved what he wanted so yeah. by the end yeah he stands up for himself he stands up for the person that he loves yeah every single scene that he talks about with aurora leads to this point sure you know he has achieved everything that he wants and then we see him as the the one you know yeah. he is it, it is his yeah. name was yeah. molina yeah you know he's revered and he's in the grandeur and sure. the aurora is watching him instead yeah. of him watching where he's taking control yeah um of this world that he's never been in control of yeah um and to me that's like yeah wow yeah and if he stayed alive that would have been taken away from him right you know in his her when he died he did something like so, so heroic, heroic and for yeah. the man that he loved yeah and was able to yeah just just kind of achieve everything that he wanted to achieve he makes peace with his mother yeah he makes peace with gabrielle like all of these things yeah. you know happen for him yeah um and in the end you're so celebratory of melina you don't feel sorry for him necessarily right. it's not, it because he's feel so like happy a sad ending. yeah it's not exactly that, it's not the kind of sarcastic sardonic end that like nowadays is in chicago like only in the movies is jubilant exactly and, yeah and it's the but it's it's and it's it's so oh, i'm so glad you brought that up because the same with cabaret yeah as well yeah it ends on this really sour yeah like, you know sting in the tail note that no one's happy here. Yeah. Well, and actually, what is found is that humanity can come together, and through that, you can find peace and you can find happiness. Yeah. Um, through these relationships. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the meta realization, and like I mentioned this at the beginning, like my mm-hmm. opinion on this is still changing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I in the I think it's maybe shown through a little bit implicitly on this podcast, but I'd Mm -hmm. love to make it a little more explicit. Like I'm trying to be better about, about not letting my gut reaction get in the way of continuing to appreciate a show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cause I, I have seen it do that in the past. Um, Yeah. And it has made me miss some nuance and some stuff. It's why um, you'll never like cats. It's why I'll never like cats. Honestly, <laughs> frankly. And actually, that is a good point. Yeah. Like, you as much as like it's cats, a joke, though. it's also why I'll never like cats. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't doubt that with more study and nuance that I probably still won't like cats. You probably won't like cats, yes. But, but why know. I initially <laughs> didn't like cats was because of that. But <laughs> in a like uh, metacognitive analysis, I find this interesting because... Mm. You know, we live in the world where we tear apart musical theater, like where we mm-hmm. talk about this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And we talk about how that's not, the art form isn't built for that. Yeah. It's yeah. a first impression art form. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really curious then about the side of me that sometimes reacts poorly to pieces mm-hmm. and what it is that causes that that then might be turned around by deeper analysis. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know what it is, but even just like acknowledging out it out loud is interesting uh-huh. to me. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing is like you, and it, it is a really interesting point. And I wonder if at any point we'll be able to talk about it yeah. in a bit more depth because you're so right. Your night at the theater dictates your opinions that's about it. a whole piece of art. That's all you got. You know, yeah. it could be literally the person sitting on their phone in front right. of you that ruins your whole night. Your dinner was you terrible. Less of a show. You got to go yeah, pee you're... like... Yeah, you, ha- you missed a crucial point because you had to go pee. Um, it was raining on the walk home and you kind of forgot. The person in front of you is so wearing wet. a tall hat. Like, yeah. Um, like these tiny little things right. can completely change your whole perspective right. on a whole work of art. But also then like, what was it the first time I listened to Cats that was like, ah, uh, you know, what was it mm-hmm. the first time I listened to this show that was like, ah, uh, and like mm. then... So let's say, no one would do this, but do the thought experiment. You're Mm -hmm. rewriting Kiss of the Spider Woman for me. Yeah. Who initially had that poor reaction to it. Uh Uh-huh. Right? What are the things you do to fix that? Like, I Um, think that's an interesting authorial exercise. They might not be the right choices for the show as a whole, but might lead to one or two things to bring the me's of the world mm-hmm. into it a bit more because I'm selfish. But then what I would say is b- b- because I disagreed with you on every point, sure. the things that I would need to change right. would then fly in the face of what I appreciate and adore about the show. Right. Well, the question would be, can I make a list with one or two bullet points that you agree with? And then those are things mm-hmm. that would be that... worthwhile putting in the show, you know? Mm. Yeah, I'd be intrigued. Yeah. Um, I think I think what's important is I think you need to see it. Yes. Um, which is interesting because obviously when I saw it, I hated it. And I hadn't seen it at all first. And I will say the thing that has brought me more around to it is finding the old promo footage and the Tony's Award stuff and actually seeing yeah. people perform this thing. I think that and that's the thing is, is yeah. because the book and, and the, the whole lyric of, of, of the whole show yeah. um, is really well done. And I actually think Brent Carver gives an incredible... Uh, performance in the cast recording yeah um and i think through that Uh uh you need to you can appreciate molina for who he is because he gets embodied and you see a human Uh uh-huh yeah you you see two humans you see valentine as well and you see their relationship because that's the thing is is obviously there's so much more to it than just some songs yeah and actually i think this is one of the musicals that kind of suffers yeah and it's cast recording because you miss a lot of the scenes but but we had this as a minor point but we should put dun, it in dun, dun. <laughs> yeah this is one of the few original broadway shows with two original well do you call them two original broadway cast recordings what well, do you even call so the it? first one technically isn't a broadway cast recording the first one's a west end cast oh, recording fair fair but they um, move the whole cast over yes so um it's called the the original Broadway cast and then the new Broadway cast. Which is a fascinating Um, term. I'm sure they had to spend a lot of time in a meeting room with a a bunch of post-it notes. It's like, what do we call this? Um, So yeah, so we've got the new Broadway cast with um, Michelle Williams and uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Yeah. um, And uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who plays Melina. Uh, And it's very different because they Mm -hmm. include some of the scenes. They include some dialogue. And actually... Um, the that was the first recording I listened to, which I'm grateful for. I do, oh, well done. Good. I do okay. think if you're coming towards the show, it is worth listening to the Cheetah Rivera one, but listen yeah, to it Yeah, it really is. Um, the one I, with I more agree. plot is worth it. I, the thing that I love most about um, the Cheetah Rivera, well, there's a couple of things. I really love 
like Brent Carver's performance is it's sensational. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's, it's so good. And to me, that is, that's my Molina kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But also as much as I'm not the biggest fan of Tito Rivera's voice, mm-hmm. um, it's, I think the key is different. I think the key um, is different for her and it seems yeah, better. It's, it's a bit lower. It's a bit more minor yeah, and yeah. it feels darker. Yeah. She like, I get it. I get why it's her. A lot of the reviews kind of take some digs at Cheetah Rivera, which I don't like. Mm. Um, but I get why she's, this is, this is for her. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And when they were writing it, I think Terrence McNally was like, that's who I wanted. Of course. You know, that's who I saw in the role because it's a vamp. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it needs yep. that. Um, yeah. It makes so me. So yeah, definitely. I, I will say this show made me understand the visit a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we'll listen to both recordings. They're hard to find. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. They're, um, I think it's on YouTube. I think yeah. the new one's on YouTube. It's not and on Spotify. I, the The old one I only found on Amazon. Um, oh, it's on Spotify for me. Is it? Fascinating. It's not, the world, I just... <sighs> yeah, I know. Licensing, who knows? Do you know there's a typo in Merrily We Roll Along across all published versions? Oh. Yeah, the song, the the revival cast recording, this song called The Blob. Yes. And in a it's bunch called of, The Bulb? It's, it's called The Blog... No, really? Yeah. It's just a typo. That's awful. Yeah. That's bad? so bad. Yeah. Oh dear. I don't know if they fix um, it, but Yeah. But yes, to 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 put a full stop on this, I hope uh I've I don't know, tried to shine a, a bit of light into the shady corners. That... I think you have. And like and as I said going into it, like th- that was my gut reaction, which I definitely yeah. wanted to fully, you know, lay open um mm. in case other people end up there. But I'm trying yeah. to acknowledge more that sometimes my gut reaction that I, you know, that you can change your mind. <laughs> um, yes. Uh-huh. Which is a wild thing. Um, but isn't it interesting, though? I went through the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I sound quite preachy, sex monies. But no, I, like, I, I, I very much, like, I really didn't get it. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And I was disappointed because I love Kandra Neb. Right. And this is my first outing of this. Yeah. And then it just takes a framing of it, a reframing yeah. Yeah. to make it click. Yeah, um, but it I is that's, it is such a question then. Like, what is what is it we're doing here, or are yeah. we moving? I had this conversation. I saw uh, the latest Star Wars over winter break. Um, oh yeah, and I was lamenting that like because I think this has certainly happened with the Star Wars, and absolutely has happened with some of the like mega Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's happening with more and more of these m- mega blockbuster mu- movies. Um, is like once you leave the movie theater, you got to Google a bunch of shit. Because you're like, why didn't I understand that? Why would what was this? A co- like, clearly this was a reference to something because I speak movie, mm. but I'm not smart enough to understand what it was. So what was this a callback to? Like, and you need like a companion's guide to view mm. your movie, and like, I don't know. I I hate that movies are going in that direction. I think musicals have been built in a direction where you're where that has not been the case, but certainly mm-hmm. we're moving closer. But still, musical, you know, Great Comet does it. Like, as a revision, you're like, wow, you don't understand the characters. All right, we're going to take, like, 15 minutes to say the characters' names a whole bunch because that's going to make the experience better. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Like, you should be able to sit down without a program and understand the show. Yeah, Um, yeah. But, like, the conceit that this is a gut reaction art form, yet I find myself not, like, trying to tell myself not to trust my gut reaction. Mm-hmm. 
It's, I don't know. It's an interesting revelation that I've had having done this for a decade now. Yeah, it's a fun thing to challenge, I think. It's, yeah. it's funny because I'm very easily pleased um, and I will accept <laughs> that about myself. Sure. Um, but I also think it's a good thing because I remain very open-minded. Yeah. And um, it, it really, like, for a musical, and obviously people listening to this podcast will know this about me, um, it takes a lot for me to really not like something. Sure. Um and it needs to really get me personally yeah. um, because I will look and look and look for the merit yeah. uh, until I find it. And yeah. sometimes it, it won't be there and right. I'll be angry and yeah. disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it didn't take me long to find the merit yeah. in this show. Yeah. And it's taken me a couple minutes, but I do, I think I'm going to get there. Oh, there's more to it. I think, I think that's yeah. it. It's just, there's, there's, there's always more to it. Do you know what um, we need? A revival. What do we need? i'm ready for it i kind of am i think i it wouldn't go out of place yeah it would i think it would be i think it would be a canny move right now to do a revival yeah. of kiss of the spider woman i think it's got a lot going for it but an interesting take on a lot of contemporary themes could Absolutely. do with some some gentle updating and you know modernization maybe 100%. here and there but it's a really intelligently written, yeah. Um, I think nuanced, uh, yeah, sure. Piece um about a lot of get yeah, contemporary issues that we are discussing a lot more, yeah. Today, yeah. That may have been completely new in the nineties, right? Well, not completely new, but right. for the new, new to pop culture, theatre yeah. gore, gore um, <laughs> was completely new. But now we're we're having more and more discussion. So yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. And should we do it? You know, I think we can only do it under one circumstance. Okay. We uh, get Cheetah Rivera back. <laughs> She's, she'll, she, by the way, she absolutely would <laughs> be fine. <laughs> She'd be totally down with it. She'd be totally fine. She'd yeah. be great. The, the, the kicks. Yeah. Or at the very least, there. at the very least, let's do an encore and Cheetah Rivera can narrate it. Yeah. Yeah. Why the hell not? That'd be a ton of fun. Tweet, totally. tweet. Go look up who does that, people, and tweet at them. Tell them we sent I you. I think so. We're totally ready for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, if we, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, to it. Producer, all, right. all the producers that listen to this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm excited We've to made be. A good, I think that's a good call. I, th I Clearly, we're the people to trust. <laughs> hey, we've predicted a lot. I think that's confirmation bias, but that's fine. <laughs> His name was was kiss of the spider woman uh we've all been kissed and we're gonna die now oh oh well that's been a good run <laughs> exactly that was a good one to end on i really enjoyed it so um hey well you've got a quiz question i i see the future she didn't kiss is hard enough because we're still going um <laughs> she didn't use tongue so that's well it. that's uh, fine it's cheetah rivera um exactly 
Um, well, I've got a quiz question that's going to tell us what we're going to be doing next time. Um, and I am particularly excited about it, Me Tommy. too. Yes. Okay. Are you ready? Always. So, the definitive version, inverted commas, um, of this infinitely revised operetta premiered in Glasgow. Ooh. Musical theatre significance. <laughs> um, in 1988, the year before I was born. <gasps> Coincidence? Probably. It has since been revised multiple times. What show? Hey, if you want to get in touch with us and let us know what you think it is, you can. Um, our show Twitter is at Jim and Tomic, or you can hop on over to Reddit and join in the discussion all about Kiss of the Spider Women and all of the other shows that we've been doing recently. Um, over there, the links are in the show notes in your podcatcher right now. Or you can go and visit jimantomic.com. And while you're there, you can check out our Patreon if you'd like to financially support the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our current Patreons. We adore mm. all of you. And as always, reviews on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere are super helpful. And when Jimmy and I get down in the dumps, we read them to make us feel better about our lives. Yay! But hey, most of all, it really helps us out when you tell all your pals about this show. We don't advertise, we rely on you. So so, uh, yeah, go tell people. That's all we have. Thank you for listening. Cheers, Jimmy. Cheers, Tommy. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. I see you have a spider plant behind you. I do. Uh, this is... Dare to kiss it?